What's up, Second Chance? I want to welcome everybody in the room. Are you guys excited to be here today? I know, yeah, yeah. I was, that was a cue to clap or something like that. No, 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 they missed it, they missed it. But I know you're clapping, super excited. Want to welcome LifeSpring up in the great state of Tennessee. Want to welcome every, we've had people online watching from um, Dublin, Ireland, uh, South Africa, people watching from South Africa, and um, Seneca. So those three places are major. If you've never been to Seneca, it'll absolutely change your life. Wanted to welcome you. We're in a series called He's Up to Something. Next week, we're going to take a pause in the series for mothers because you got to honor mothers on Mother's Day. It's going to be real cool. And then we'll finish up the series um, the following week. So just wanted to kind of let you know that. So next day, Mother's Day, get your mom and watch together online. Super exciting. Also, also, want to let you know that we will have more concrete building information about our facility at the end of next week, hopefully. So next Sunday, I should be able to have a little bit more information. What we're being told, though, is we should be able to move into the facility either in late July or August, or maybe even late August. July, August-ish is when we're going to be able to move in there. So super excited about that. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 5, and we're in the middle of a series called He's up to something. He's up to something. And we started this series by talking about Jesus inviting Peter on a journey. We said week one that all Peter did was make himself available. And and as he made himself available to Jesus, didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know any theology, didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God. He just said, hey, I think I trust this guy. Gets in a boat. Jesus says, let's put out a little further and, and invites Peter to let down his nets for a catch. They go and do that, and then they called some, Peter caught a bunch of fish, calls his partners over, and says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, remember that, and Jesus said, hey, don't worry about it, you just follow me, and then last week, we talked about Jesus always leads us to unsafe places around unsafe people, unpredictable places and unpredictable people, we talked about the, the leper last week, you remember the leper, what did we call him? Well, Frank, Frank the leper, we named him Frank the leper. I almost called him Larry the leper, but I figured Frank was better. Um, so we're going to pick it up this week um, after the leper story. And the leper story, if you missed last week, you can go to our YouTube channel or our podcast and you can listen to it. It's real important because it kind of leads into this week um, as to what's going to happen. Now, let me set this week up this way. When I was in high school, in college, there's something about young men in high school, in college, where we think that we're absolutely invincible and indestructible. And so some of the things that we go try to do um, are high risk, but high reward. So that's why young guys will jump off cliffs, they'll jump off mountains, they'll jump, just whatever. And so me and some friends, we went out to the lake, and there was this rope swing. Now rope swings are awesome if you've never done one. It was a good rope swing, it was a thick rope, it was a thick branch, and we're all swinging, and, and it's real easy. You just take a run, you swing out over the lake, and then you have to let go of the rope, real simple, and you fall in the water. Now, some of my friends were super athletic. They would, like, dive or do a flip. I tried that once and did a massive belly flop, and it was over for me. And so we go up, we're hanging out, doing the rope swing, and one of my buddies had never done a rope swing, and he was super scared. And boys in high school and college are so compassionate and so full of grace and so full of mercy 
So we started talking about him and saying some unfavorable things about his mother, um, all kind of things like that. We finally, we finally just pressured him into doing the rope swing. He was like, okay, how do I do this? I was like, you get the rope, you run, you swing out over the lake, you let go of the rope, want to pause. I told him to let go of the rope. I personally told him to let go of the rope. And then you fall in the water. It's not that hard to do a rope swing. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So he's like, okay. So this dude, he takes off. And when he took off, I'm telling you, he looked like an eagle. It was the most glorious thing in the world. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And the rope gets to the very end. And you know, you know when the rope's at the end. Like, you know, but he didn't let go. And I'm like, this, this, this is going to go really bad. True story. He starts coming back, and I start thinking, well, maybe, maybe he didn't want to let go all the way out there because, you know, it's, it's, he's scared, so he's going to come back in a little bit. He was so terrified that he never let go of the rope. The problem was the tree was huge, and so I'm watching him. I'm watching the tree, and they're just getting closer and closer and closer. And to all my new age friends, you'll love this. He became one with the tree. He literally just smack. I mean, we picked bark out of his back for the next 30 minutes, and it was gross. It was, it was really gross. But I just kept thinking that night when I went to bed, why didn't that idiot let go of the rope? But then in my life, I've injured myself so many times by refusing to let go of the rope because the rope represents control. And how many times have we done some damage to ourselves or other people because we wouldn't let go of the rope? Keep that metaphor in mind because we're going to circle back around to it. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, setting up letting go of the rope. Here we go. One day, the Bible says this, one day Jesus was teaching. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. I want to pause real quick. This is the very first time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus encounters the Pharisees. Pharisees were really, really righteous people. In the Old Testament, there weren't Ten Commandments. There were 613. But the Pharisees make, made up extra commandments so they wouldn't even break the commandments. Really morally upright people. And this is the first time we see them in the Scripture. The Bible says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. So the really religious people showed up to hear Jesus. This is where it gets a little weird. They had come from every village of Galilee, which is believable because Jesus was in Galilee. So basically they had heard about Jesus and they came to see Jesus from the region. That's believable. Um, and from Judea, a little bit further out, but that's still believable. Here's the unbelievable part. And Jerusalem. And the rest of the verse says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, for years and years and years, I missed just those two words from Jerusalem in this text. But let me tell you why that's a big deal. Jerusalem was a seven-day walk away from where Jesus was. Between five and seven days, most people believe it's seven days. Now, I just want to be very honest. There's very few things in the world I would walk seven days for. When I was a kid, my dad used to drive across the country, and we could do that in like four days and three nights. And my dad got a speeding ticket every time. Every time we drove across the country and back, he would get a speeding ticket. So I can't imagine walking seven days to go somewhere. But the Bible says that the Pharisees walked from Jerusalem for essentially for seven days to get near Jesus. Now, 
Here's the question. Here's the question. Here's the question. Why did they do it? Because Jesus didn't have social media, which he would have been a great follow on Instagram. But he, he didn't have social media. He wasn't healing people going, heal the leper, click, and all of a sudden it goes out to everybody. How did the religious leaders in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago hear about Jesus and walk seven days to get into an audience with him? Could it have been the leper we talked about last week? Remember we talked about the leper? When Jesus healed the leper, what did he tell him to do? Go to the high priest. By the way, the high priest was in Jerusalem. Jesus said, go to the one that told you you were unclean and show him that you're clean. So let's just imagine Frank the leper walking seven days, getting to the temple, getting in front of the high priest, and the high priest going, hey, Frank, thought we told you you couldn't come back here anymore. And he's like, yeah, yeah, funny story. Um, I couldn't come back in here anymore because I had leprosy. But now I don't have leprosy anymore. And the high priest goes, well, i got to check that out. He checked him out, and he didn't have leprosy. And he's going, by the way, if you saw somebody that had leprosy and then they didn't have leprosy, what's the question that you're asking? How did that happen? Are you using some new products? Like, where, like, like, like what is going on? Frank, how did this happen to you? And the leper goes, well, you know, I ran into this man named Jesus. And the Bible says, remember last week, before Jesus healed him, what did Jesus do to him? Anybody remember? He touched him. He touched him, then he healed him. So can you imagine this leper telling the high priest, he touched me, and then he healed me. Now the high priest automatically has a problem with that, because you're not supposed to touch lepers. And so the high priest is kind of wrestling with this tension of, okay, he healed you, but he didn't do it right. And so we've got to disperse some people to go check out this guy that's not healing people correctly. So when we look at this text and we say that these leaders came from Jerusalem, they journeyed for seven days, the only logical explanation is because of Frank the leper telling them, I got healed. And they're like, ah, we got to go check this. We got to go check this guy out. Now, this is, this is the question that we've got to ask ourselves as we look in the text. When we go to church, are we there for evaluation or participation? Because people that show up for evaluation always miss the miracle. People that show up for participation saying, you know what, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know everything about you, but if you're doing something today, I want in on it. Those are the people that walk away with the blessing. The people that show up for evaluation, don't miss this, always miss the miracle. There was a, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You don't have to turn there. It's uh, John chapter 11. It's where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That, to me, is like phenomenal. Now, if you were at a place and you saw somebody raised from the dead. By the way, they've been dead for four days, not four minutes, four days. And somebody showed up and brought them back to life. How many of you think that might have moved you just a little? Any hands, any hands in the room? Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Might have moved me just a little. So Lazarus comes back from the dead, but the Pharisees, once again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the chief priests and the religious leaders, they're really upset at Jesus. 
And so the Bible says that Jesus and Lazarus are hanging out one day, and I want, to, I want to just read you this story because I want you to see what happens when people show up with a mindset of evaluation rather than participation. I just want to read this. John chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible says this. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Listen. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Religious people always seek to kill a miracle because it doesn't have... Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah, Jesus brought him back from the dead. We're going to kill him. By the way, do you think that bothered Lazarus? He was probably like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. We... Hey, first time worked out, let's just do it again. That was pretty awesome, being dead for four days. How do you kill a guy that's already been dead before? I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know. By the way, some people, I ran into this on the internet. You can find anything on the internet. Some people believe Lazarus is still alive. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Some of you just, I just lost you right there. You'll be Googling that for the rest of the day. Get off Google, get back on the message. All right, here we go. Verse 18 says this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, when I read that text, it, it just reminded me for just a second about my dad. My dad could fix anything that was broken, ever. If your car was broke, broke down... My dad could fix it. I don't know if you had a dad like that. My dad could literally walk out. He'd be like, crank up the car, listen to it for like five seconds, and be like, it's an alternator. I'm like, how the freak do you do that? But he could do it. He could, he could uh, fix air conditioner if your air conditioner went out in your house. He could take it apart. Funny story, just a side note. When my dad had Alzheimer's, because so, you've got to laugh at this. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. He had Alzheimer's, and one time he was having a good day, and he took a buddy of mine's air conditioner apart. He had a business. And then after he got the air conditioner apart, he had, he had a, a fit and couldn't remember how to get it back together. So my friend calls me and says, your dad's on my roof and my air conditioner's in pieces and I don't know what to do. And I was like, sucks to be you. I, can't, I can pray for it, but I can't fix your air conditioner. But my dad could fix anything, anything. Me, I can't change a light bulb without burning the house down. Like I can't, like if, if my car broke down, I'm a man in the South. This is what I know how to do. You pull over, you pull the hood thing, you get out, you open the hood, you look at the engine, you shake your head and go, that's bad. That's all I know how to do. I don't even know if the engine's there or not. That's all I know how to do. So my, my dad could fix anything. I can't fix anything. And I started thinking about that metaphor when it comes to my heavenly father. Do you know that God really can fix anything? But when I try to fix someone or something... A lot of the times, I wind up screwing it up more. It's just true. So one of the things that stands out about this text in particular is this guy had some friends. A lot of people say it was four friends. We don't know those four friends because the Bible never says that. But we had, we, in this text, we've got some friends that are hanging out with a paralyzed guy. Now, first of all, that's insane. Because if you had a physical problem in, in this time period, 
People thought you had a spiritual problem. Because this was, guy was paralyzed, he was unclean. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't be prayed for. He couldn't have his sins forgiven. This guy was screwed when it came to the religious system, yet he had some friends that were willing to walk with him through his mess. And don't miss this. They didn't try to fix him. They simply brought him to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could do for him what they could not do for him. They walked with him and brought him to Jesus. Have you ever realized that people in your life that try to fix you, if you eventually don't do what they want you to do, they'll hurt you? People that try, think about it, think about it, think about it. People that try to fix you, if you don't do what they want you to do, eventually they'll hurt you. But aren't you thankful that you've got some friends that'll walk, through, walk with you no matter how crappy your life becomes? That's what these guys are doing. We can't fix him, but we can take this journey with him and take him to Jesus, and then we'll just trust Jesus to do the rest. And so that's what we see happening in this story. They were limited. I, I, don't, I don't believe they lectured him on the way. How'd you let this happen to you? How in the world could you let yourself get paralyzed like this, you idiot? Let me give you a couple of scriptures about being paralyzed. They, I don't think they did that. They were motivated by love. Jesus, by the way, said that the world would we be able to tell that we belong to him by the way we love each other. Not lecture each other, but love each other. So I love that in this text because they bring him to Jesus. Verse 19, here's where it gets crazier. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, a lot of people. By the way, that's where, that's where I probably, it's probably good that I wasn't this guy's friend because if I show up and there's a wait like a restaurant, I leave. I'm, I'm, I'm not waiting. So, I mean, a lot of people, they get... There, there's a crowd, there's an obstacle, and they're like, well, sucks to be you, man. We brought you this far. Maybe you can just kind of crawl in there by yourself and just kind of see what happens. But I love these guys because they're so determined. They're so focused. They're so intense that the Bible says when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now think about that for a second. These men that brought their friend were so dedicated that when they faced an obstacle, they didn't walk away. And as I was, as I was looking at this text this week, I was just reminded that the bigger the obstacle, the greater the miracle that can eventually take place. And so when you're looking at an obstacle, it's nothing more than an opportunity for God to do something immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Obstacles can always become miracles if we simply will not give up. And I'm talking to somebody right now who's ready to throw in the towel, who's ready to quit, who's ready to turn your back, who's, who, who is going, God, why should I take one more step? It's real simple. Because the bigger the obstacle the bigger the miracle. These guys were like, no, 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 no. We can't. And so they tore the roof off. Now, this is where it gets crazy. This is where it gets crazy. When Jesus, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
a couple things about this verse. Number one, how did Jesus see their faith? Because 2,000 years ago, they didn't have like Christian t-shirts. They didn't have like, you know, an ichthus tattooed on their wrist or a cross tattooed on their arm or whatever. They didn't have jewelry that displayed that they were Christian. When I look at this text of Scripture, I'm like, how did Jesus see their faith? You know how I believe he saw their faith? When they lowered him down, they let go of the ropes. They said, you know what, Jesus? We got him this far. This situation, this person, this problem, this, this is now in your hands. And it was just a reminder to me that so many times, so many times I think I can control something, so I want to grab the ropes and I want to control a person or a situation. And in those, in those times, that's when we just need to let go of the ropes. And you know what, God? I brought this thing as far as I can. And from this point forward, I'm trusting you. But something crazy happens. When he saw their faith, so imagine he sees them lowering, they let go of the ropes. He looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, everybody in this room, everybody watching, We've all experienced disappointment, like extreme disappointment. It's several years ago, I don't never forget, I was driving around, and I was hungry. I'm always hungry. I'm always hungry. Every day of my life, I'm hungry. Every minute of my day, I'm just hungry. I'm hungry now. Um, and I was crazy. You know how sometimes you don't want something until you see it? You know what I'm talking about? If you've, if, if you've ever been pregnant, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So... I'm, I'm driving around, and I just saw Zaxby's, and for some reason, I was like, that, that sounds good. One of those big, huge chicken finger plates with the Zax sauce and the crinkle fries and the piece of bread with like two pounds of butter on it. Just amazing. I love Zaxby's. Love, love, love Zaxby's. And so I was like, I'm going to pull into Zaxby's. True story. I pull into Zaxby's. I'm just, I can taste it. It's going to be amazing. I walk up to the counter, and the lady looks at me, and she says, before you order, I need to let you know we're out of chicken. And I laughed. I did. I was like, ha, ha. She's like, no, no, we have no chicken. I'm like, you're, you're freaking Zaxby's. How, how do you run out of chicken? She's like, well, we just had a rush. And, you know, our, what, I don't know if the manager was an idiot or whatever, but they were out of chicken. But then she looks at me, and she goes, you could still order. I'm like, what am I supposed to get? Like, carrots and celery? Who eats that? Like, that, that would be weird. So I remember leaving being incredibly disappointed. All of us have experienced something like that. Can you imagine, though, these guys, they brought Jesus. Now, why did they bring this guy to Jesus? Answer, they wanted him to be healed. They wanted him to be healed. So they lower him in front of Jesus, and Jesus sees their faith, and he looks at the guy, and he says, your sins are forgiven. That's not what they brought him there for. They probably looked at each other and went, he could have had that done at the temple. And the other guy's like, no, he can't. He can't go in the temple. And they're kind of arguing a little bit amongst themselves. But they didn't bring the guy there to Jesus for him to get his sins forgiven. They brought him to Jesus because they wanted him healed. But don't miss this. God's always up to more than what we're asking him to do. So when we ask God to do something, God actually wants to do more. 
When, when, we, ask, when we have a prayer request that we're going to lay it before God, God says, I actually want to do more than you're asking me to do. And God is up, Jesus is up to something in this text. He doesn't do what they wanted him to do right away. And there's a reason. There's a reason. Check this out. Um, the next verse says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking, not saying, not writing, thinking to themselves. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? I want to pause real quick. I want to pause. When they said, when they accused Jesus of blasphemy, in the Old Testament, if you, if you committed blasphemy, you were supposed to be killed. So right here, the very first interaction they have with Jesus, they're already thinking, how can we kill this guy? Because they were there for evaluation, not participation. Remember that? So, so, so who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Then they ask this question, which is a great question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, they're asking the question, who's this, like, who's, who's this guy I think he is? God? Which is interesting because he was. So the next verse says this, verse 22. Jesus, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Now, have you ever been called out? You ever been called out like in class? You ever had a cop? Pull you, you ever been driving down the road and the blue lights called you out and you had to pull over, right? You ever been called out? We've been called out for what we've said. We've been called out for what we did. But none of us have ever been called out, not publicly, for what we thought. Let me ask you a question. How screwed would you be if people could read your thoughts for the next 24 hours? For the next 24 hours, thought bubbles appeared above your head, and whatever you were thinking was displayed to the world. I wouldn't leave my house. I would not answer the phone. I would sit in my closet and rock back and forth like a baby for 24 hours because I don't want anybody reading my thoughts because our, our mind is supposed to be a sanctuary, right? Some people it's a playground. Some people it's an asylum. But our mind is supposed to be a sanctuary. And I'm sitting there thinking, these guys are sitting there thinking to themselves. And all of a sudden, Jesus just calls them out. Which, by the way, if somebody reads my thoughts, I'm like, I'm with that guy right there. I don't even know what's going on. But Jesus asked them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, I love this question, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Which I'm looking at that verse going, neither are really easy to say. Neither, neither are easy to say. Verse 34, don't, don't miss this. This is huge, R24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's sitting there saying, Hey, you guys were thinking, who does he think he is? God? I want to show you. Then he says, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Don't miss this. The, the, the friends, the men, we don't know, there could have been women there too, brought their friend to Jesus to be healed. But Jesus used that situation to reveal to everybody there who he really was. They thought he was a great teacher. 
They thought he was a healer. They thought he was a miracle worker. And this in the Gospel of Luke is where Jesus goes, hey, I am all those things, but I'm actually something a little bit better. I am God. And one of the things I've noticed is God most often reveals himself in situations where I was asking for one thing, he did something else. What he did was greater than what I wanted, and in that process, he revealed who he was, which was actually a bigger blessing than him giving me what I wanted in the first place. Jesus was revealing to the world through this situation, I am God. And by the way, this all started out with Peter, remember? This is the first time Peter hears Jesus declare he's God. Because he's on this journey. It's incredible. Jesus goes all out. Verse 25. Immediately he stood up in front of them. Now I want to pause. The only way this guy really got healed is he took Jesus at his word. We don't take Jesus at his word. We lay paralyzed for the rest of our lives. He took Jesus at his word. He's laying there. Jesus says, get up and walk. Jesus didn't pick him up. This wasn't like Weekend at Bernie's, for those of you my age that remember that movie. This wasn't like Weekend at Bernie's. Jesus didn't pick him up. Jesus spoke, and he stood up. That's where the miracle takes place. It's not only in the speaking of the word, but it's us receiving the word. And when we believe God's promises, we're actually able to step into God's presence and his blessings. So Jesus speaks to him, but if he lays there and doesn't take God at his word, he never gets healed. So that, that's where we've got to, by faith, go, you know what? If this is what Jesus said, this is what I'm going to believe. He takes Jesus at his word. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, which, by the way, it's pretty huge. I've never seen anything like this happen. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. <laughs> it's so funny. You don't have to tell people to praise God when they know that they were paralyzed when they came to Jesus. It's just a thought. We'll talk about that later. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, I'll put my cards on the table about a couple things. I don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't. By the way, don't send me Bigfoot pictures this week. That's not Bigfoot. That's your grandma, and she didn't shave. So, so that's not, it's not Bigfoot. I ain't got time for Bigfoot. We met, I met somebody last week, great person, told me Bigfoot jumped in the back of his grandpa's pickup truck. He didn't. His grandpa, I don't, I, he's a great guy, loves Jesus, going to heaven. I don't believe Bigfoot got in the back of his grandfather's pickup truck. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it, because all the pictures of Bigfoot are blurry. If Bigfoot's real, why don't we have a legit picture of Bigfoot? I don't believe in UFOs. I told Logan this before. We're going to have an Insta poll later on if you want to vote on this. But I don't. I don't. Listen, don't send me a UFO. You are not abducted by an alien. You are not an alien. I don't, I, if, all, if UFOs are real, why don't we have a clear picture? We've got iPhone 10s. We can take really great stellar pictures, but all of them are blurry. Now, Logan would argue that the aliens are messing with our technology. We have these conversations. It's legit. But at the end of the day, I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in Bigfoot. don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. don't believe in any of that stuff. But I do believe in the power of God. 
because I've seen it. I've seen him change lives. I've seen him do miracles. I've seen him bring dead things back to life. I've seen him absolutely do amazing things. And I think as we step into this next season, as individuals and as a church, we're going to be these kind of people that the Bible says everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. That's what I want for our church every Sunday because he's changing so many lives. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The miracle would have never happened had the people that brought their friend to Jesus not let go of the ropes. So you want a miracle in your life? That thing you've been worried about, that thing you've been stressed about, that thing you've been freaked out about, let go of the ropes. I'm not telling you to embrace irresponsibility. I'm just saying every time you're tempted to worry about it, just in your mind, imagine yourself letting go of those ropes. Jesus, I give this person to you. I give this situation to you. I give this problem to you. I'm tired of staying up all night worried. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of being anxious. Jesus, I'm going to let go of the ropes. And by the way, you won't have to do it just one time. You might have to do it 17 times a day. But at the end of the day, if the guys had held, I believe if the guys had held on to the ropes, they wouldn't have seen the miracle take place. At the end of the day, what is it or who is it that you just need to let go of the ropes and say, God, I've done all I can. I'm placing this situation in your hands. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this story, so much for the fact that you worked through just a messy situation and turned it into a miracle. Father, I want to pray for every single person here today who has a a person or a problem or something in their life that's just causing unbelievable amounts of stress. My prayer, Jesus, is that today we can let go of the ropes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what you need to let go of today, but right now I just want you to imagine, literally imagine yourself letting go of that situation, letting go of that person, because you can't control them. You can't control it. And maybe you're here today, and you've realized that, you know what, spiritually you're that paralyzed person. And the only way you're ever going to walk spiritually and take a step forward is if you give your life to Jesus. Jesus can do more with our lives in five minutes than we could do in 50 years. And so maybe today is the day that you need to pray to receive Christ in your life. If that's you, right where you sit right now, right where you sit, you just want to give your life to Jesus. I want to invite you to do that today. You can just pray in your heart. You can just say, Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me because I'm asking you to save me right now. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. And right now I invite you into my life to take over. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life the best I know how. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed to receive Christ, would you hit the hand raise? If you're watching 
at second chance, mysecondchancechurch.com if you'll do the hand raise thing. If you're watching on Facebook, if you'll do the hand raise emoji, just so we know that you, you accepted Christ today. You took your next step, and we want to be able to celebrate that with you as you pray to receive Christ. So you can do that, or you can shoot us an, a, an email at hello at perrynoble.com, hello at perrynoble.com, because we want to know that you prayed to receive Christ. Also, before we close out today, let me just say this before we, before we close out. I want to say thank you, and I, I do this every once in a while, but I especially want to do it today. I want to say thank you for the way that many of you are giving to Second Chance Church. It's you, the way you guys are giving, we've been able to purchase some equipment. We've got a good camera. We're actually, we were actually able to put um, a rent payment down on the facility. We're actually able to get some preliminary work done. So for those of you that are giving, I just want to say thank you. You're making a humongous difference. So from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of our church's heart, thank you. And we can't wait to, wait to see you next week as we talk about mothers. It's going to be awesome. God bless.